Hello, this is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Catholic Baltimore is a weekly radio program hosted by the Archdiocese of Baltimore, airing each Sunday following the broadcast of the Radio Mass of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic radio partners for sharing with us some of the content in this program and for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to the Archdiocese of Baltimore every Sunday. We've got a two-part show on Catholic Baltimore today. In the second half, we'll look at a group from St. Mary of the Assumption Parish in Gobins that picks up trash in its neighborhood. But first, we have a conversation with the director of the new movie, Tolkien, Dome Karakoski. With us today on Catholic Baltimore is Dome Karakoski, director of the new movie, Tolkien, which opened in theaters this weekend. Director Dome Karakoski moved from his birthplace in Cyprus to Finland when he was five years old. His six previous films were each nominated for the Best Director Award in the Finnish National Film Awards, with two of those winning. He brings his unique vision to Tolkien, which explores the formative years of John Ronald Rule Tolkien, who created the great fantasy world of Middle-earth. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Hello. Most of us encountered Bilbo Baggins in The Hobbit and his cousin Frodo in the Lord of the Rings trilogy as youths. When did you first become a fan of Tolkien? I was 12 or 13, and it was a very miserable time in my life. I was growing at that time without a father, and, and you know, whom I've got to know later. Uh, I was being bullied, so I was very alone. And then I read Lord of the Rings, and those stories kind of became friends to me. Uh, and then I, I became a fan, read The Hobbit, read The Silmarillion, read most of his books, and many of them twice. And I think that, that memory, I think, shaped a lot of whom I am as a storyteller. My brother is the one who first uh, encouraged me to read The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, and I'm forever grateful to him for that. So I, I understand how, uh, at that age, those stories really kind of open up a new world for us. What was your vision for yes. this movie, uh, to pro- portray how the orphan Tolkien genius developed and it was encouraged? Well, it's, you always have the difficulty when you're telling a story about a real-life character is how to narrow it so it doesn't become a three- or three-and-a-half-hour story. And it's not a documentary, it's a narrative, and so you have to choose. And we chose the, the theme of love and friendship, I think, which was so elemental these younger years. And I think that story of friendship, the story of fellowship, is very intervened in almost all of his, all of his writings. And that, that's why it kind of became the shine or the main light, the main focus in, uh, in his story in this film. I really admired how you played with imagery and light and darkness in the film, uh, how you created kind of his fantasy world with, uh, from some of the images in his life, um, such as Edith Dance inspiring the elven princesses or flamethrowers on the battlefield inspiring fire-breathing dragons, and J.R.R. Tolkien often drawing the characters who would eventually inhabit his stories. What inspired you to meld those worlds of reality and fantasy? Well, the difficulty is that he himself has pointed out that they are not, they are not really direct allegories uh, that you can take. Like, you know, as we are not saying that World War One inspired Middle Earth, it didn't. The mythologists inspired that. But there are emotional, there are emotional experiences t- that definitely he took out of his own life, his own experience, and then intervened them. And that's what artists do. They use them emotional experience. So we wanted to show like an emotional reflection. Like, for instance, the story of the dragon you pointed out. 
you know, he first hears the story, which is true, that he was, you know, inspired by this young story from Bosunga Saga, the story of Sigurd killing the dragon Fafnir. And then he carries that as a certain ultimate fear throughout his life. So he, when he confronts the ultimate fear in war, and this is actually not, his ultimate fear in the war is not actually war itself, but the losing of a friend or losing of love, then that kind of memory sparks in him the idea of a dragon. So it's very internal, or the, or the thought of, you know, the religion, which is in, instrumental to Lord of the Rings. And you might have noticed the crucifix in the battle scenes, or, or when he's lost Edith, he's citing the Christ from Sinewulf by Sinewulf and looking at the heavens for my answer. So it's very internal. Like, so we try to shape and show how internally he thinks and how internally he feels in certain moments. And that then projects in his visions new ideas and sparks new ideas that he will later on use in his mythologies. It was, it was quite, as a filmmaker, it's your, your, I would say, you're, you're like in a candy store, if I might say. I may say. Yes. You know, just being allowed to do this on film. That's wonderful. You know, you, you, touch, uh, you talked about the religion and those religious elements that are in the film. Mm. You touched briefly on Tolkien's Catholic faith and Father Francis Morgan, who became his guardian, both to John Ronald and his brother after their mother's death. Since his Catholic faith was essential to Tolkien's genius and his salvation, why wasn't that a bigger part of the film? Well, it was actually in the script, and they are layered there, as I pointed out, that moment when he looks upon the heavens for an answer. And uh, they are layers that are not so obvious. But there's two, and we shot more scenes. So, for instance, in the DVD extras, there will be a scene where he attends and helps Father Francis in, uh, with the final communion, and, and he enjoys it, and we intercut with war and death. So it kind of, but it didn't, it didn't really work when screened to people. It didn't flow dramatically. You know, people would say, oh, it's a boring face. So it becomes more like you're reading a Wikipedia rather than has a drama. So I would say the script, and we try to have more in it. We try to be truthful to it. Uh, but at the, I think the end result has less than the script. And, of course, in Oxford, he was also, he himself said, you know, during those young male years, he was a bad Catholic and didn't attend church. So, you know, which is understandable. And uh, so I think it's tricky. Religion is so internal, so it's, that makes it so tricky to kind of visualize. So those moments, as pointed out, looking onto heavens, people, I think they might not even notice that it's a very religious scene. You know, they just go because it's so internal in him. And I didn't want to have long dialogues expressing things because that, as said, that's more like reading from a Wikipedia than experiencing the emotional feeling from a film. Mm-hmm. And even uh, the imagery you're talking about in that first scene in the movie where they're playing essentially capture the flag, the mm-hmm. banner that he carries is on a stick that looks very much like a cross. Uh, and so yes. that, that's already inherent in that. What's there, the there are different. That, that's that's the thing that that's a, that's a difficult. You exactly. There are things that people might not notice, but we are trying to hint it all the way. We didn't we didn't try to downplay it in any way. But I think for me, actually, what's striking was the Father Francis character. And there's, as you pointed out, there's a warmth and beautiful uh, relationships that they had. And we actually got notes from people saying, "Oh, oh the Father Francis character. This should be should beat the boys at least, because the cliche of a Catholic priest." And we got accusations from some people reading, you know, and seeing the film that you're whitewashing capitalism here. You know, the Father Francis should be, you know, as I said, you know, not an evil character, but more strict. 
And I didn't read that. You know, I thought it was a very touching and warm relationship between, between the boys and Father Francis. And, but it's difficult, as you, as you pointed out, it's difficult to portray it on the screen. And I think there was a realization that uh, Father Francis had a warmth for him and a real desire. He, he sensed in, in John Ronald this genius that was budding and knew that as an orphan he needed to find a sponsorship, he needed to find a scholarship for him to be able to achieve these dreams. And so I, I really liked how that worked out between them. Thank you. What's at the heart of the story in Tolkien? I think the heart of the story is, um, in this specific film, it is about actually understanding yourself as, and your mind. I think when you go watch a film about Tolkien and, and you, have, you want to know how his mind works, how it's been shaped. And I think that was, for me, very much part of the story, understanding how he builds ideas and his love for language, how essential it is for him to build the stories, like how language is kind of a music of his own life and how words are spoken. Uh, I think that's very essential, also the story of friendship and love. Mm -hmm. You carry through those illusions earlier as he goes through life, and you see where he picks up this idea of the fellowship and and being bonded. It picks up certainly elements of Wagner's ring cycle to bring into the Lord of the Rings. Uh, I, it just The way it's all woven together is really kind of interesting to me. But a question that I would have is, will people who have not read Tolkien's works Will they appreciate this movie? We've shown it to a lot of. We've already had kind of a lot of screenings, and I think, of course, the fans. You know, we have screenings where people have come dressed as elves and as a Gandalf, and I've seen even a dragon, someone dressed as a dragon. Right. People, the fans have really loved it. But we also have screen screenings for people who have not perhaps read the books, and I think for them, they might not notice the small nuances, the small like the two trees of Valinor that is in the in the Felador scene. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, you can watch that specific scene as a love scene. You know, you don't necessarily need to know about the two trees of Valinor to understand the reference uh, itself. And that's how we wanted to portray. We wanted to make it that it's still a story about a young man growing. It's still a story of a young man learning life and meeting friends and love. And then I think there's an additional layer for the fans. So I would say that my, my gut feeling based on the screening is that people really like the film, even though they are not fans. Well, that's wonderful to hear. Thanks for being with us. Thank you very much. We've been talking today with Dome Karakoski, director of the new movie, Tolkien, which opened in wide release May 10th. This is Christopher Gunty of the Catholic Review, and you've been listening to Catholic Baltimore. After the break, George Matasek talks with the Trash Bashers from St. Mary Govins Parish. News from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world from the Catholic Review. Participants in a racism listening session sponsored by the Archdiocese of Baltimore, April 29th, brought a variety of experiences to the attention of Baltimore's bishops and an audience of more than 250. Speakers spoke of being questioned about their presence on church property simply for being black, of having difficulty entering the seminary because of race, being called the N-word when distributing Holy Communion at a hospital, and feeling unwelcome in the church. The listening session was prompted by the U.S. Bishop's 2018 pastoral, Open Wide Our Hearts, The Enduring Call to Love, a pastoral letter against racism, which calls racist acts sinful because they violate justice. The event, held at Notre Dame of Maryland University, also followed the January 2019 publication of Archbishop William E. Laurie's second pastoral reflection on the topic, 
The Journey to Racial Justice, Repentance, Healing, and Action. Bishop Shelton J. Fobb of the Diocese of Homa Thibodeau, Louisiana, chairman of the U.S. Bishop's Ad Hoc Committee Against Racism, told the audience in his opening remarks that these listening sessions help the bishops understand the aching pain of people affected by racism. The Baltimore event was the sixth such session he had attended, and he is grateful for those who share their experiences despite the weight of the harm done, he said. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. From the newsroom of the Catholic Review, this is Christopher Gunty. Do you want to know more about what's going on in the church and the world than you can get from your daily newspaper or local TV? Read the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the church full-time, The Catholic Review. Pick up the print magazine monthly at your parish or have The Catholic Review delivered to your home every month. You can get fresh news every day online at catholicreview.org. Subscribe to the Catholic Review e-newsletter for twice-a-week updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Find our app on Apple and Android. And follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Wherever your faith takes you, Catholic Review Media is ready to inspire, teach, inform, and engage. Read it today in print and online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. For 143 years, New Cathedral Cemetery has served the needs of the Catholic community of Baltimore and Central Maryland. New Cathedral is the only cemetery owned by the Archdiocese of Baltimore and is the final resting place for many religious orders and famous citizens. 125 acres of rolling hills, trees, and beautiful monuments, the cemetery is an oasis of peace and tranquility and is located off Edmondson Avenue just outside of Catonsville. New Cathedral is dedicated to the task of tending to the mortal remains of our dearly departed and has many more years of available space. If you are in need of a burial site, vault, monument, or marker, or just a respectful location to place your cremated loved ones, our counselors will help you through this process and make sure the wishes of you and your loved ones are honored. Visit us online at newcathedralcemetery.org, like us on Facebook at New Cathedral Cemetery Bonnie Bray, or call 410-566-7770. You are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Welcome back to Catholic Baltimore. I'm George Matisek, digital editor for the Archdiocese of Baltimore. Every second and fourth Saturday of the month, the Trash Bashers, a team of about a dozen volunteers based at St. Mary and Govins, cleans up a three-block stretch of York Road in front of the church. Lance Benden, a parishioner of St. Mary's, heads up the effort. Lance Benden, thanks for being here on Catholic Baltimore. Well, I'm happy to be here. So who are the Trash Bashers? How did you get started and what do you do? Well, the Trash Bashers originated from a, uh, about four years ago from an after-mass fellowship that we had at St. Mary's here in Govins. And uh, the subject at our table was uh, a discussion of how we could become more involved in the, our community. And the more we talked, the more we came to the conclusion that this wasn't really reinventing the wheel, that there was a lot to be done literally right out the front door of the church on York Road, that the Homeland Commercial District, about a three-block area 
around York Road and Woodbourne Avenue. There are a lot of stores there, a lot of pedestrian activity, and then it could probably need some help cleaning up something very simple that we thought we could do and that we wanted to do that was in the interest of the community and the church, the parish, and so that's really how it began, just seeing that need right in front of our face, actually. And two times a month you go out into the streets and clean? Yes, uh, 8 o'clock, 8 a.m. on the second and fourth Saturdays of each month, we assemble at St. Mary's and then we just divide in half, go down the three blocks, group on one side, group on the other, and clean it up. What kinds of things do you see in the streets? Well, there's the normal, I think there are probably, there are at least a dozen, there could be as many as 16 establishments, everything from liquor stores to convenience kinds of carryouts that can and do produce some type of packaging or beverage container. And we see just about everything you could imagine in that area and some things that you might not expect to see. Uh, one, one morning we found a car fender in the gutter. Uh, so there are always a few surprises. There's probably a lot of answers to this question, but why is there trash in the streets here? Well, I think that is a question that is a, a bit elusive, but I think several things that certainly with the amount of foot traffic and the amount of customers that deal in and out with these stores each day, some are perhaps not as conscious of the idea of putting trash, putting disposable items into trash cans, so there's that unfortunate part, although I think we can easily say that most of the members of the community and that that uh, patronize those stores are responsible and they seek out a legitimate way to dispose of what they aren't or don't use. We've also been trying to make the city a little more mindful of something as simple as the availability of trash cans. I think sometimes it's a little much to ask anyone to think about walking a block or a block and a half to find a trash can for a candy wrapper or something like that. So I think that has also been uh, an issue, no question about it. And you've actually worked with the city to get some of those trash cans installed with the merchants in the area, is that right? We have. Recently, the city has installed new modern compact trash cans that run off solar power. That has been helpful. We also have a program that uh, we've raised some money. We've also gotten a grant from the State Department of Natural Resources to purchase some smaller cans. Right now, those those have really uh, been a benefit, I think. It's been part of our attempts to engage and make aware and educate the merchants because that's really, we need their participation and and, uh, that has really been a big help because we also use them to promote and market, if you will, our clean street message. 
So the agreement we have with the merchants is we'll provide these smaller trash cans installed on their building with our logo and message. And for them, they make a commitment to daily clean the trash cans because really one of the long-term solutions is to get the merchants more involved in our efforts because we think and we think they know that a clean street is good for business. What's been the response of the people in the community as you, as you work on the streets? Well, every time we do this, that's there's no question that without soliciting any response or commentary, usually pretty much every Saturday, many of us get comments from folks who are just walking to work or going into one of the shops, uh, recognizing what we're doing and thanking us. So I think that, but I think perhaps to your point, I think the residential neighborhoods surrounding this particular area really can also be more involved particularly the Homeland Association, which is one of the adjoining neighborhoods, has uh, been very supportive. The word is getting around, I think. So after you're done cleaning the streets, you come back in two weeks and the streets are again dirty with trash. Does it ever get frustrating or or what keeps you going to to do this work? Personally, I, I suppose I'm as much inspired by the other trash bashers who have just an amazing commitment and loyalty to this effort. And that part of it, we certainly notice that. And we, when we notice it when it looks great, we notice it when it doesn't. And it doesn't, doesn't seem to affect us. We have a commitment to this. And frankly, most of the, we have at least three, four different contributions from other parishes in terms of representation and it really really hasn't affected that at all and most of us live in the general area and we use that street or walk up to it or what have you so we notice it even more on a on a daily basis and i can tell you sometimes we clean it on saturday morning and by saturday afternoon or sunday morning it doesn't look like anybody has ever been there and there are other times when Voila! Miraculously, there is two or three days later, and uh, it still looks great. Mm-hmm. So there, there are varying outcomes, and we just kind of stay with the the program. And your team seems to have a lot of fun doing this as well. You joke around and have fun. We do. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of camaraderie. I'm glad you brought that up. There's a certain fellowship and friendship that we've. Uh, most of us, of course, the core group knew each other from St. Mary's, but we do. We have a lot of fun, and we have one member who started uh, a tailgate, a post-cleanup tailgate. So at uh, 9 or 9 o'clock or a few minutes after, we're usually back in the parking lot. And this morning, we, we had a great tailgate with some coffee and Oreo cookies, we have fun and usually have some time to stand around and sit around after our uh, trash bashing efforts and uh, talk. We just have a few seconds left. Uh, how can people get involved in this effort? I think the, the city is one place that uh, 
always can use a little prodding and a little focus on what community members feel and think are issues that affect them every day. And I wouldn't hesitate perhaps to take the time to call your city councilman or the Department of Public Works and highlight some of these issues and uh, some of the solutions that local people are trying to implement. And from a, uh, a parish standpoint, I think there's, there's just a lot you can do in your own community or offer your assistance to other communities through your parish and through your Catholic community. And I think that's probably a, a, uh, a very strong effort that could be made. Lance Bendon, thanks so much for being here on Catholic Baltimore. I'm happy to be here. Thanks so much. I'm George Matisek. Thanks for listening to Catholic Baltimore. Child abuse is not only a crime, it's also a sin. The Archdiocese of Baltimore has long made the protection of children a leading priority in its parishes, schools, and other ministries. The Archdiocese seeks to keep kids safe through rigorous training and background checks, and by implementing a zero-tolerance policy for anyone credibly accused of abusing a child. For more information about the Archdiocese's efforts to keep our children safe, please visit www.archbalt.org. Life can be hard, and at times we feel overwhelmed and alone. When faced with problems, know that there is a group of Catholics who are part of the prayer ministry of the Archdiocese of Baltimore, waiting to lift you and your needs to God in prayer. This ministry is comprised of men and women, young and old, religious and lay, from every ethnic and cultural background. They pray as individuals and in groups, in homes and meeting spaces throughout Baltimore. Like you, they are people who have suffered the same hurts, fears, pains, sickness, loss, and everyday burdens. Learn more about this ministry by visiting our website at www.archbalt.org. If you are in need of prayer, send your prayer request to prayers at archbalt.org or by phone to 410-547-5517. Would you like to volunteer to be a part of the ministry? Prayer ministers are always needed. Please call or email our coordinator who would be happy to speak with you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Baltimore. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May God bless us and keep us always in his love.